Pound the Rock is brought to you by the Score Bet. Take advantage of lightning fast score updates and live odds to ensure you never miss a beat when you've got skin in the game. Download now on iOS and Android. Available in Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, and New Jersey. Must be 21 plus. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, contact 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, or 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. Visit thescore.bet for more details. Welcome to Pound the Rock, the Score's NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo, and I'm joined, as always, by fellow co-host Joe Wolfond. Good morning. Good morning, Wolfond. You stay up to watch that Clippers Suns game? I know you did. We were just talking about it off air. Unfortunately, yeah. It was uh yeah, better better soon forgotten. Uh and I kind of wish that I'd just gone to bed rather than staying up to watch that absolutely disgusting contest, but I did indeed, so feeling the effects this morning. We will talk about the Clippers later in today's show after the break. Uh we're gonna start today's show. By talking about an unfortunate setback for one of the league's brightest young stars. Before I get to that, I did want to mention the league's most setback-prone star, probably at the yeah, moment. Yeah, his name is setback at this point. But I did want to mention uh, things starting to look dicey in terms of the NBA schedule. Uh, Chicago Bulls two games postponed this week because they have ten guys in health and safety protocols. Literally two thirds of their team. There was an ESPN report on Monday. Um, about how executives, league insiders are all worried and expecting that the worst is yet to come in terms of this season and that the time after the holidays will be particularly rough with players testing positive and and having to isolate because of gatherings with families and stuff. Um, There was a stat in that report that, so there's been 46 cases of players needing to enter health and safety protocols now this season. 31 of those 46 have come just in the last two weeks. So Obviously, some concerning stuff there. And and yeah, the league expects some challenging winter months ahead. We don't need to really discuss that too much or relitigate. I mean, we've talked about this a ton. Uh, more so just throwing it out there as, you know, obviously something to consider and monitor as the season wears on. Because it is, you know, though we are almost two full years since that March 11th, 2020 day when the NBA shut down two seasons ago, you know, the world is still very much in the grips of this pandemic. and the NBA, like any part of life, a business, whatever, is still affected by it. Obviously more important than basketball, but even if you are talking basketball, the season itself could still be, maybe not derailed is the right word, but definitely altered and you know thrown a curveball by the effects of the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that I'm wondering now is, is the league willing to cut down the schedule if it comes mm-hmm. to that, or are they going to force these makeup games that is going to force another condensed late season schedule that is going to put increased strain on players and possibly lead to more injuries like we saw last season. I think it's just, I would hope that if it comes down to it, they're willing to just scrap some games Uh, because, you know, thank God they postponed those Bulls games. I think they waited too long to do it. You know, it took them getting up to 10 players in health and safety for them to finally pull the plug. And I, I don't think it should have to come to that, man. Like, first of all, you're, you're increasing the risk of further spread by allowing that team to continue playing. And, it, you know, if a team is going to have like eight or nine healthy available players, that's just 
I mean, I remember we see, we saw this last year with Philly. I think there was a game when they had seven healthy players who could dress. And that's just, again, if, if you're talking about the league moving towards taking better care of its players physically, you know, reducing back-to-backs and, and other measures in order to just like reduce the toll of a long regular season and promote player health and safety, like playing games like that where it's just naturally going to be an increased workload for everybody who's available to play is a terrible idea. So I think they should have pulled the plug a lot earlier when it was clear that the Bulls were like a team with a COVID outbreak, uh, you know, a, a spreader team both internally and externally. And I, I just hope that they're more proactive about that in the future. Like they, the Hornets should have had games postponed as well. Like they've had to continue playing with so many of their guys in health and safety. And I just think if they want to prevent this thing from spiraling out of control, then they're going to have to be more proactive moving forward. And that might require them to be willing to make some schedule changes, maybe just scrapping some games from the schedule. And it's not like last season where they had that 70 game threshold that they had to meet in order to satisfy the contracts with local broadcasters, right? Like they're going to clear that 70 game threshold, I think one way or another, but maybe they scale back down to like 78 games or 80 games or whatever it happens to be without having to worry about, you know, breaching contract with broadcast partners. So I would just hope that moving forward, there are conversations happening and, and just more of a willingness to take proactive measures to prevent this stuff from getting worse. Yeah, I think what you might see happen is, I, I think obviously the, the they're going to try to get every team to 82 and they're going to try to make up any games that are postponed. But I think ultimately what you might see happen as we get closer to the playoffs and, and it's just, you know, also the difference now too is they're back, everyone's back in their home arenas and those arenas have concert dates and other bookings and stuff. It's not just as easy as like, okay, we'll find another day on the calendar and make these games up. I think what you might end up seeing is games played wise, something similar to the first COVID interrupted season. Now I don't mean with that few games, but you know, I mean in terms of like teams ending up with different games played. So if you remember by the end of that season, you know, uh, a couple teams, I think played 70, a team played 73, some played 71. And then obviously the standings go by winning percentage anyway, but it does kind of uh, mess things up a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if we see that by the end, because if you do have to start actually knocking games off the schedule, it would be very tough and almost impossible to also still keep it uniform uh, in terms of a number of games played across the board. Right. And I, I just... I, again, I would just hope that that is the solution rather than like yeah. abbreviating All-Star Week or adding more back-to-backs into yeah. the schedule. Like anything like that that is going to reduce player rest, I just think would be a bad idea at this point, especially because we are still coming off a shortened offseason, mm-hmm. you know? Like it wasn't quite as short as last offseason, but it was still a shorter than usual offseason. So uh, I think like any opportunity to... <laughs> um, or or any chance in which they could take a measure that would not be one that would reduce player rest, I think is one they should be looking uh, really long and hard at. All right, well, Fawn, we have to unfortunately talk about Zion Williamson. And I say unfortunately because, look, we would love to talk about Zion Williamson playing basketball and playing out of his mind and, and doing the things on the court we know he can do when healthy, but when healthy is the big if and caveat with Zion Williamson. So we talked, I don't know if it was last week or maybe a couple weeks ago, times you know, zooming here, but we talked a couple of weeks ago about how he hadn't necessarily had a setback when it comes to the broken bone in his foot, 
that had kept him out so far this season, but there was some soreness in it and they were, they weren't shutting him down. I guess you would call it a setback, but they were, they went from having him cleared for full basketball activities and in practice and all that to then I think saying for a week, they were going to go lighter on his work. Like he was still going to be getting work in. It just wouldn't be full throttle. And now here we are a couple weeks later. And now this is much more of a setback. The Pelicans, announced on Monday that after experiencing persistent soreness in his right foot, Zion underwent medical imaging, which showed a regression in the bone healing of his fifth metatarsal. As a result, the volume and intensity of his training will be reduced for an extended period to help allow for further bone healing. This is just, man, I mean, like, on one hand, I almost like don't know what else to say. We've had this conversation. I I don't know how many times since Zion came into the league on this show, I've talked about how I used to say at some point you got to worry long term. I, I I got to the point once he was shut down to start this season that I said I'm officially at that point now where I'm just completely concerned whether this guy's ever, ever going to be healthy enough to be as impactful as he should be. Remember a few shows ago when we had this conversation about the first setback, I even went so far as to say, I might take the under if someone gave me an over-under on 1.5 All-NBA selections right now. Because I just, like, there is basically no evidence to suggest that this guy can be and stay healthy for an NBA season, you know? like, And for the thousandth time, a guy at that size having foot and knee issues this early in his career is a really, really bad harbinger of things to come. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope. He defies the odds, overcomes all this, ends up having a long career. But it's like, man, there's no silver lining to be found here at all. Well, there is if you really look for it. I mean, <laughs> look, yes, it's it's all they found. Confusing. They found the setback, I guess, is a silver lining. Like it, it was diagnosed. The, the silver lining is, okay, so I'm not like the, if Zion were to come back like tomorrow and and like get back up to being, you know, close to peak Zion in relatively short order. I think I've said this before, but like they have a a pretty light schedule the rest of the way because they've played something like the hardest schedule so far. They're actually not that far out of the play-in mix in the West because yeah. the bottom of the play-in bracket in the West is like a total mess right they, now. They are in last place, but you are correct that they are not that far away. They're four games out of 10. Were Zion to come back tomorrow, I would feel pretty decent about their chances at like making a run at a play-in spot. But they're in last in the West. It's not like they're playing for much this season. So... I don't think there's any impetus for them to like rush him back. They can afford to take their time with this. Like if, if they have to come to the decision, like it's really just best for us to shut him down for the season. Then I think they can do that and not feel particularly guilty about that decision. Now that might be a conversation or, and a difficult conversation to have with Zion and Zion's camp. There's been friction between those two sides in the past about the way that his injuries and his workload have been managed. He might want to play. They might not want him to play. Like that could lead to some discomfort uh, if it comes to that. But it could work out well for them if like they're able to use this time to get him fully healed and rested up and ready for next season and continue to basically tank this season and get themselves another super high draft pick, which, you know, like they have what appears to be a silver bullet in Zion, if they can ever get him physically right, if they can get another one, I mean, that that would actually set them up really well for the future. And I think more than anything, like what they need is just a lead guard. Their guard play this season has been so, so bad. And 
it's to the point where I mean they're like 10 points per 100 possessions better with Devontae Graham on the floor than with him on the bench and he hasn't even been good I was gonna say like, the funny how, thing is he hasn't even been that good but yet that's that's how dire much. that's how dire yeah. their backcourt situation is so if they can get like a top five pick and I don't know I haven't d- really done too much research on on the coming draft class but like I don't know, Jaden Ivy or someone like that, you know, a lead guard type that they can add to the mix here, then that's the silver lining. That's how this could work out well for them in the long term. But it's hard to focus on that right now when you're thinking about, okay, this was the guy, this is the guy they're building their team around and rightly so. He's a generational talent, but whether we can actually see that generational talent come to fruition uh, or whether he's just going to continue to be stymied by injuries is very much an open question. And I think, you know, the next big question to answer, I don't, I don't really think it's much of a question at all. Like they're, they're going to offer him the max extension and I think they should. I'm not, man, you think they still offer him the max extension? Not, Dude, not an extension. Pelicans are like a hundred percent, a hundred percent. They offer him the max. Maybe it's like, like the Embiid extension where there are some caveats or some outs or it's incentive laden when it comes to games played or when it comes to his health, like they're protecting themselves in some way uh, against like a career ending type of injury or a recurring injury that just prevents him from ever playing, you know, more than half a season or something like that. There could be some clauses in there, but apart from that, like, yeah, I think they put the max on the table. And I think given his, you know, already very long and checkered injury history, I think he takes it. And I just think if, if you're a team like the New Orleans Pelicans, like I think literally the smallest TV market in the NBA, you have to make that gamble. Like there are just, there's just no other path. Like you have to make that gamble. And that's, that's how I see it going. So uh, yeah, it'll be, I guess, an interesting thing to see how it plays out, but I, I don't really think it's much of a decision for the pelicans like i think that decision has already sort of been made for them just given their circumstances but the pelicans have also been notoriously cheap though i mean yeah but like what i I just okay so like what's the alternative for them they they try to trade him i'm not saying that the pelicans are necessarily there or should be there in terms of like not offering him the max but i think it's more possible now than it was weeks ago and if say they actually did get to that point like i don't know hopefully knock on wood it's not actually the case but whether there's another setback this year whether we can't even get on the floor this year like if they actually get to the summer when he is extension eligible and decide we cannot commit max money to this guy right now maybe we let it play out here i don't i don't know but if they offer him anything less than the max i think we're both in agreement that zion's not taking it even with his checkered injuries, I think he would say, no, like I'm a max player. He'll wait out the year and hope to get. I think at that point, you do open the door up to them having to explore, at least think about the idea of trading. So I agree that it's still too okay, but early. So, like, what, what, yeah, but what's in it for the Pelicans to offer him like a slightly less than max deal? Like if they're going to do that, why not just go to them? Like it just doesn't make sense from their perspective to do that, to lowball him. Like, and they have to know that, like, I just maybe is it they've been cheap- him though, man. Like it is because if you're saying, and I think correctly that he is going to turn his nose up at that deal and roll the dice and just say, I'll take my chances and I'll get to restricted free agency and we'll see what happens then. 
than it is like because his market value is a max because if if he were to be if he were going into the season to become an unrestricted free agent some team multiple teams would throw max offers at him you know that's true yeah so that is his market value so yes if they gave him a sub max offer they would be lowballing him so i just don't see I, I don't see what's in it for them to do that like i i think I don't know. I, I just sort of feel like people are maybe overthinking that a bit when they think that the Pelicans might might come in below the max. I mean, they might start there just to see. Maybe he'll take something less than the max, but I think ultimately... If you're admitting that their first offer might not be the max, I think that's already step one in a ugly process. But like purely, purely as like a negotiating posture. I don't think there's any situation in which they aren't prepared to give him a max offer. That's that's my feeling about that. Right. But but then but then that but that's kind of your argument too, right? Like if 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 they're if they're prepared to give him the max, why even start with the low ball? And that's what I'm saying. I think all like these options are now on the table. Like the thought of them even starting with uh less than the max offer in a, as a negotiating tactic would have been ludicrous even even to start this season when we knew he was going to be out. But now we're talking multiple setbacks like yeah, I mean, but I just I just think okay. it's interesting that the the options might be on the table. I don't think they actually are is what I'm saying. Like they, <laughs> like them coming in with with a submax offer as like their first offer just because that's like right. how teams tend to uh, negotiate, which I don't even know if they will if they will do. They might come correct with the max like on uh, on like day 1 of the offseason, like the first day that he's eligible to receive that offer. Like I I have no idea. But do you, is there anything in your mind that would if you're the Pelicans, yes. is there anything this season that could alter you from making that all? Like if he ends up having to miss the season uh, due mm-hmm. to another setback, would you no. still, as the Pelicans, be prepared to just go in and off from the max? Yeah, yeah, 100%. That's like I was saying, like you, you're the Pelicans. You have to make that gamble. If it blows up in your face, it blows up in your face. I think you live with that. Yeah, I mean, if it it blows up in your face, you're probably not playing in New Orleans much longer if we're being 100% honest. Right, but also if you trade Zion, you're probably not playing in New Orleans much longer. Fair enough. Look, it's a a terrible situation. But but, I mean, the other side, I guess, is like the Pelicans are going to be operating with more information than you or I have. Of course. Maybe it's a situation where like their team doctors are saying, this is a big concern. Long term. We are very skeptical that he's ever going to be healthy enough to play anything like a, a full season or close to it. We would advise you against making this huge long-term financial commitment. Then maybe that's when they say, okay, like we at the very least just have to wait and see how next season goes and let him get to RFA before we offer a max deal, you know, or we have to consider trade options like yeah maybe they have information that would lead them to that decision and so if that happens then i guess that's going to be my assumption is that they have that information not that they're just cheaping out because i just don't think that would make sense for their franchise look this has obviously been a disaster this season for the pelicans but there have been some encouraging signs and i do think this team with a healthy zion even this version you know without adding like a top pick potentially to the mix next season even this version is you know, at least a play-in team to me and possibly like a low playoff seed. I, I you, like D- Devontae Graham has been pretty disappointing, but it's also like he would just look so much better playing alongside Zion than he would, you know, having to sort of operate as, he hasn't even really operated as a lead guard. Ingram has kind of taken on those responsibilities, but like 
Uh, Ingram's pick Devontae, came up too after us. After a he has, but Ingr- like, and look, Ingram's good, like obviously a very talented player, but I-, I think he's just still frustratingly tunnel visioned and like slow to make mm. decisions with the ball a lot of the time. Like, I just feel like there are times when, like, the way the defense rotates and helps opens up a pretty obvious pass that he either doesn't see or just chooses not to make which can kind of stall out their possessions and that's a lot of time justified too because look at the guys that he's playing next to like there's just a dearth of offensive talent and shooting talent around him but he so he's shooting 17 percent on pull-up threes this season 41 percent on catch and shoot uh Devontae is at 29 percent on pull-up threes 38 percent on catch and shoots and in both of their cases, like they'd be getting a lot more catch and shoot threes playing next to someone with Zion's gravity. And I think in a lot of ways, the Pelicans kind of constructed this roster with the idea that there was going to be a lot of point Zion and there hasn't been any Zion. And that's why I, I think even if Zion had been healthy, their their guard play would have been a problem and they would need more help on that front. But without Zion, it's been just a massive glaring weakness. Uh, and that's especially true because like the guys they got in that Lonzo ball trade, I mean, Sadoransky in particular, who I've liked as a player in the past, like he's been kind of disastrous. He's like awful. He's been he's awful like, for them. Painfully passive offensively. Um, and, and Garrett Temple has been terrible. Like the, it just, I mean, look, the, the return in that deal was never that good. And like in part, like, I wouldn't say they got Devonte Graham in that deal, but it was sort of a corresponding move. Yeah, and I think you know from that perspective, I guess it looks a little bit better, but on the whole, it still looks pretty bad. I, I, I mean, whatever. I, I don't think they'd be in any better shape for this season if they have Lonzo Ball instead of Devonte Graham. Right. You know what I mean? Like their defense would probably be better, but like offensively, I mean, Lonzo is. Uh, he played well next to Zion. He was great in transition. He's a good advantage extender, but not really a very good advantage creator in the half court, you know, initiating from a standstill. Like they'd still be boned at the offensive end if they had Lonzo right now. So I don't know how much of a difference that would make, but um, the the Pelicans and the magic, the only two teams in the league that are bottom five on both ends. Yeah, no, but the like again, the, like the Pelicans have like a pretty decent excuse. There, I mean, look, Zion being there wouldn't do any favors for their defense. I'll say that, but uh, they would sure be a whole lot better offensively with him in the mix. And like I was saying, I think there have been some positive developments, and if or when he comes back, like those could, like I think Graham will look better. I think Ingram will look better. Uh, they've, you know, like JV and Zion together in the front court. I've mentioned that, how, how interested and excited I would be to watch that because I think they would just be such a handful for any opposing front line in the entire NBA. Like they're like, aside from maybe the bucks with like a healthy Brooke Lopez, I don't know like what other team in the league could actually be equipped to handle that level of size and like interior scoring punch. Um, so I'm still interested to see that. And, uh, you know, Willie Hernan Gomez has kind of come on. Like, he's been crushing it at the offensive end. Uh, and it, it's not a great sign that Jackson Hayes, who they picked eighth overall like two years ago, is now out of their rotation. But they're getting good backup center minutes. Uh, 
Jackson um, Hayes, who famously went at the NBA for not including him in the <laughs> rookie sophomore game, right. if you remember correctly. Yeah. I think he was going at the assistant coaches, right? Because they were who yeah, picked the... that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> well, pretty pretty much... He'll be going at the uh, coaches around the league for not having an NBA job if this keeps up. So yeah, that's been disappointing. But like, you know, Herb Jones has been terrific defensively. Yeah. Their, their second round rookie. Um, and Josh Hart, man. Like, I feel like Josh Hart has become basically a perfect role player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's like they have all these pieces that could fit well, like around this superstar, you know, at the center of everything. And that guy just hasn't been there. So it's been a black hole instead of like the sun that they all orbit, you know, and it's um, I, I just uh, I, I don't think it's it needs to be all doom and gloom. But obviously, the, the big question that none of us can answer right now is, is this ever going to change? Or is this just gonna get, like gonna continue to be a big what if? Like, what if Zion could stay healthy and and we never get to find out? Another thing too is like we've all seen the like he's gotten bigger, and the longer this absence lasts, I would assume it's not just okay. Like, yes, obviously the foot healing is the number one priority, but the foot heals and he gets cleared for basketball. Like, it's gonna be a probably a long conditioning stint needed to get him back to not just playing weight, but like playing condition in general. So I get what you're saying about there are some silver linings. If you look deep enough, they're not completely out of the race yet, even though they're in last place. But I just think when you start thinking about how long we probably are away from actually getting potential Zion minutes this season, I think they're basically cooked this year. Which again, is not necessarily the worst thing in the world. Fair enough. If it's going to take that long for him to just heal first and foremost and then after that get up you know uh, up to game speed like i i think it might come to a point where it just makes sense to shut him down for the season and and again that's going to be contingent probably on his willingness to do that his cooperation in that endeavor but if he is willing to say this is what's going to be best for me and my career thinking long term you know, to just take this season off and get my body 100% right rather than coming back in a futile attempt to to chase like a play-in spot, then yeah, I think this could work out well. He comes back at 100% next season, they get a top five pick, suddenly everything looks a whole lot different. That's that's sort of my feeling about it. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, we'll obviously just have to keep monitoring this and see where it goes but i just it looks bad right now for new orleans but it doesn't have to stay bad necessarily yeah i'm sure this will not be the last time we speak about zion williamson's return and or absence this season on pound the rock and where the pelicans go from here because of it all right i think we're zion out we're gonna take the break come back talk some clippers What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out the Score's Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. And don't forget to check out The Score's YouTube page for an informative yet lighthearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. Now back to the show. All right, Wolfon, as promised, we are going to talk about the Clippers. But before we do that, it's time for our weekly Tuesday Trash Talk segment, Talking Trash, presented by KFC. Talk trash, don't make trash. 
As a reminder, what we'll do during this segment is highlight an instance from the past week of players beefing or some sort of trash talk related tidbit from around the league. And this week, we're going to dive into Charles Barkley's statements about Anthony Davis not living up to his end of the bargain for a Lakers team otherwise stocked with quote-unquote old-ass geezers. You know, Chuck, he went off on a rant about how AD, you know, is supposed to be a top-five player, although is he? I don't like, Anthony Davis is great, but I, I don't know if I came into this league thinking he's supposed to be a top-five player. I guess he could be, but anyway. Uh, and and Barkley went on a rant about how AD hasn't stepped up, you know, when Braun was out and with all the old guys and hasn't really gone about making it his team. And just in general, hasn't lived up to his end of the bargain. So, I will say, I know the numbers are there for Anthony Davis. His his numbers are incredible, as always. I do think there's a point to be made about how he hasn't been forceful. He hasn't been the best player on the court often enough for a guy of his standards and a guy of his skill level. I do think there have been too many games, like that game against the Grizzlies where Jaron Jackson is playing great right now. John Moran out was basically bullying him inside. AD creates kind of a an interesting reaction, I'd say, from people. Because like on one hand, you can't point to the numbers and be like, well, how much more do you want this guy to do? But there is something to the eyeball test, I think, when it comes to AD, and especially this year, where you, if you watch the Lakers this season, there is something to be said for him not quite being at his best and not always looking locked in. And is it the biggest problem on this? No, like I... Barkley was trying to go out of his way to make it seem like if Anthony Davis just lived up to his end of the bargain, this team would be fine. That's not the case. And the one thing I will say about Anthony Davis, who, again, I'm agreeing has been disappointing this season, is that there are very few big men in the modern era, and it's rare for a big man in the modern era, to be able to just completely dictate the terms of a game, right? Because of the way the game is played, it's very perimeter oriented. And Anthony Davis, not because he's not skilled enough, but because that's just not his game, isn't one of those guys. And so for him to be in the perfect situation, you need a pretty kind of perfect roster makeup around him. And the Lakers aren't that. They don't have that. So I think there's blame to go both ways. I definitely don't agree with Chuck in that, okay, if Anthony Davis just lived up to his end of the bargain, Lakers be fine. That's not the case. But I do think, while we will scoff at a lot of things he says as ridiculous, I do think he does have a point in that he hasn't lived up to his end of the bargain in the sense of like hitting his top gear this year when the, when the Lakers do desperately need him to because there isn't a lot else going on. But yeah, I mean, that was the thing that he was most right about is that like the Lakers need him to be operating in his top gear yeah. all the time in order to be successful. But that's more a problem with the Lakers than it is with right. Anthony Davis. And like, I agree, Anthony Davis, this hasn't been the best Anthony Davis we've seen by any stretch. But I, I think, you know, first of all, I, yeah, he was going on about you're supposed to be one of the five best players in the world, which <laughs> no, you're not. is he? Like, according <laughs> <Exactly>. to who? <laughs> um, like, uh, yeah, I, I never expected him to be that. And then it's. Obviously, you have Shaq saying, look, you're shooting 19% from three. So that's telling me stop shooting threes, get get your butt in the post. We're like, he's shooting two threes a game. Yeah. And he's also like playing next to traditional center for, you know, a, at least a decent chunk of his minutes every game. So posting up in those scenarios doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Also, handling double teams in the post has never been something that Anthony Davis is good at. And that speaks to you, your point about, you know, big men deter like dictating the terms of a game and AD not necessarily being one of those bigs who can do that. And I think a big reason for that is like, he doesn't handle double teams particularly well. And on this Lakers team where there's very little shooting around him, 
that makes it that much more difficult, like to play out of the post. And especially for Anthony Davis, who's not like a, you know, an A plus playmaker by any stretch. So it's just not really an ideal environment for him to thrive. And I think that doesn't mean that he he can't be better uh, or hasn't been disappointing. But, you know, even at the defensive end, it's like uh, I've mentioned this before, the Lakers are still allowing the highest opponent rim frequency in the league. And who does it fall on the vast majority of the time to make that last stand at the rim to try and clean that stuff up? It's Anthony Davis. And among, you know, I, I don't, I actually think AD has played the majority of his minutes at center this season. But if you want to still call him a power forward, because that's the position at which he starts, I think the only other player in the league, the only other non-center in the league who's contesting more shots at the rim than him this season is Evan Mobley. So it's it's a lot to ask of him. And like the, the Lakers perimeter defense is pretty leaky. And uh, again, like the Lakers need Anthony Davis to be better, but like whether he can be at this point is is uh, another matter. Like he just, Barkley kept going on and on about how he's 27 years old, but he's not. He's actually almost 29. And and physically he's probably- Hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. You just blew my mind. Are you telling me Charles Barkley and or Shaquille O'Neal might have come to the table and ranted without the proper facts. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's astonishing. I know it's, it's hard to believe, but, um, but it's like, and he's probably an old 29. If you think physically about like, you know, what his body has been through the attrition, the injuries that have probably piled up over the years. I mean, this year, like he's dealing with a knee injury right now. He had a thumb injury earlier. So to me, like, I just, he might not be physically capable of doing it all full bore 100% for a whole regular season and still having anything left in the tank for the playoffs. So I think if you're a Lakers fan, I think for the play in, sorry. (laughs) Um, I think if you're a Lakers fan, you hope that he is playing the long game a little bit. Um, but I also like, I, I really don't think he's been that bad, you know, even by his own lofty standard, the, the jump shooting has been an issue. It's completely fallen apart, both from three point range and from mid range. But apart well, from that, he should never take another jump shot again. Then Wolf on according to Shaquille I guess you. not. Yeah. He just should park his butt in the yeah. post, yeah. get double and triple teamed all give game. Me, give me 27 and 17. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think look, the, the, like the rim protecting numbers, um, are by his standards really bad. Like I, I think 62% at the rim opponents are shooting when he's contesting, which is the worst of his career. And I think that's a little bit borne out by the eye test. Like he definitely hasn't been the same imposing interior force that he's been in the past. But I also think, and I, it's not like I've watched every Lakers game, but from I've wa- from what I've watched, it hasn't looked that bad to me. Like I, I think... The only game where it looked really bad was was what I mentioned that Memphis game where Jaron Jackson and I, honestly like yeah. I thought Jaron Jackson's been bullying everybody. Every, in no, the fair enough. Season, and by the way, I legit it was bad enough in that game that I legit was wondering like whether Anthony Davis was okay. I was like, man, is he like sick? Is he like I went and checked if they run a back to back because I was like, man, it, I I don't remember the last time I saw another big just like completely bully AD like this. Yeah, um, but I, yeah, I mean, look, he. I don't think he's been that bad. I don't think he's like remotely what's wrong with the Lakers right, right. now. And I, you know, what, what seemed to set Chuck off on this rant was that there were, I guess, these burbling rumors or speculation about Frank Vogel being on the hot seat. And he's like, Frank Vogel's like that. That was like a bridge too far for him. Like, yeah. 
he couldn't abide for Frank Vogel being on the hot. And that's, you know, that's fair. I don't think Frank Vogel should be on the hot seat either. I don't think this is remotely his fault either. But it's also not Anthony Davis's fault that Frank Vogel's on the hot seat. <laughs> yeah. Like, that shouldn't be a reason to come after AD. I think um, AD did make a couple passive aggressive comments that seemed to be questioning oh, yeah. coaching strategy. Uh, in that it? case, AD, man. <laughs> like, up your game, get your ass in the post, and quit whining about the coach. Yeah. I know there was the one game after they lost to the Clippers where, and like uh, even that people were split on because they're like, well, he could just be complimenting Ty Lue, but he did, I can't remember what the exact comment was, but it was about the adjustments Ty Lue was making. And it did seem to be him hinting like, well, the Clippers adjusted and did this and we didn't. And I think that's when people started thinking like, oh, is this AD throwing Vogel under the bus? Interesting. All right. Well, that's all I have to say about that. So let's move on and talk about the other LA team because it's big market Tuesday, baby. All right. Before we do that, I did want to remind you that was our talking trash segment. Well, fun. Shout out to the real MVP of talking trash KFC by 2025. All their consumer facing packaging will be fully home compostable, putting them one step closer to being the goat, the greenest of all time. All right. Well, fun. Those Clippers. They beat the Suns last night, and I know the Suns are far from full strength. No Devin Booker, no DeAndre Ayton. But look, the, the Kawhi-less Clippers were without Paul George. Batum is out. They aren't anything close to full strength either. They were more undermanned than the Suns were, and they pretty much bottled them up start to finish. Wouldn't go so far as to say they throttled them, but they bossed them. They they dictated the terms of that game from start to finish. And that win brought the Clippers to 16-12 and 12 with a pretty decent win profile. They've beaten the Heat. They've beaten the Timberwolves a couple times. They've beaten the Mavs. They've beaten the Lakers. They've beaten the Celtics. Obviously, now they've beaten the Suns. They have a pretty bad offense. I believe it's like 23rd, 24th in the league. Um, uh, 25th. Yeah, it's really okay. bad. Terrible offense. But an elite defense, a top four defense, which again, mm-hmm. given the guys who have been in and out of the lineup, I think that's a testament to Ty Lue who has been uh, great overall. Now, the one concern, well, I wouldn't say concern, but the one flaw you can pick with their start, as you pointed out before we started recording, is that they've had an extremely home-heavy schedule. So in terms of strength of schedule by opponent, you know, it hasn't been easy by any stretch, but when you look at the home-heaviness of it, 19 of their 28 games have come at home, nine on the road. So you would expect, given the talent level of this team with the injuries that as they start hitting the road, as the schedule starts to even out, I, you know, they're not going to be where they are now. They might surprisingly end up in a playoffs proper spot. Maybe I don't know if that even is a surprise. I think they will be a playing team, but right now they're fifth place and they're a game back of the Grizzlies for four. I don't know if they can continue that. Like we talked a couple weeks ago about how that fourth seed right now is wide open. All right. Like whether a team like Minnesota can, stun us all and, and and grab it whether the grizzlies who we'll probably have to talk about maybe later this like who have just been playing out of this world without jaw to get up to fourth you know whether Jokic can carry the nuggets there with all the injuries whether lebron can just get the lakers act together and they should be the four seed but right now the clippers look like they're in the mix for that four seed which is unbelievable given again the injuries and and just a shout out to Ty Lue, man the guy Always making the right adjustments, always throwing in these little wrinkles to help things. Uh, and you Is know this what, Frank Vogel love- slander or? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh no, I'm gonna catch a Charles Barkley stray. I'll be on next week's edition of KFC Trash Talk. And you know what I love too? They Tyloo mentions this a lot. 
And if you watch enough Clippers ball, you'll hear the broadcast mention it a lot, that he mentions it a lot. It's that Tyloo has this saying that he always says, nothing we do should be random. Like, I don't want to play random basketball. And it just goes to the premise that, like, everything the Clippers do should be with a plan. And they do have a, a game plan. Again, offensively, it hasn't looked great. But I right. think that's more a talent issue. But they do, especially defensively, they have a game plan. They execute it well under the guise of a masterful tactician, really, in in Ty Lu, and uh, they've just been an overachieving team so far. It's a, they they trust the game plan, they execute it, and that's honestly the kind of team they need to be without Kawhi Leonard. You know, when they're right. not going to out talent teams on most nights, they need to trust the game plan that Ty Lu provides them because it's usually pretty spot on. I think that point about randomness is actually a really important one because I. I tend to like when teams are able to play a little bit more random, but I do think it takes a, a certain type of team to be able to play that way. And I don't think this Clippers team is that. I, I think what's required to play a little bit more random is like a lot of playmaking on the roster and a lot of good read and react ability. And I just think there's definitely a dearth of playmaking uh, and just like passing acuity on this team, especially with Batum out. That's a big thing that's holding back their offense right now. Like they just don't really have that. And so I think they kind of do have to play in a, in a little bit more of a structured system. Not that it's done them any favors. I mean, they're 25th on offense. And I guess my concern, if I'm like looking toward the rest of the season and thinking, where, where is this team actually going to end up? I feel like their poor offense feels pretty sustainable. Whereas their top five defense, I, it, it, I have less faith in their defense remaining top five than I do in their offense remaining, you know, bottom six. Like I, from a process perspective, you know, we talked last season about how jumper dependent they were and it didn't matter because they were one of the best jump shooting teams ever, you know, maybe the second best or, or the best, like it was between them and last year's jazz, frankly, for I think the mantle of, uh, if you're if you're talking like combination of volume and efficiency, like the best jump shooting team ever, um, they were right there. And now they're still extremely jumper dependent, but they're not actually a good jump shooting team. Like they still don't put any pressure on the rim. They're 25th in rim frequency. They're 27th in free throw attempt rate. They're 24th in offensive rebounding. So they're still taking a ton of jumpers, but uh, you know, there's no Kawhi. Paul George's shooting has buckled under the immense workload that he's been carrying. Batum's been out. Reggie Jackson has regressed. Marcus Morris was slumping pretty badly until recently. Yeah, he had a Ibaka. huge game. He had a huge game against the Suns, but it was his yeah. first good game in a while. Yeah, he was great. Um, but for the most part, he's been—I mean—he's been very up and down. Uh, Ibaka's been like a shell of himself. Eric Bledsoe's here now, so it's like this great jump shooting team has turned into a pretty mediocre jump shooting team. And yet they're still hoisting jumpers as if they're a great jump shooting team. So I don't necessarily like their offense might get better, but I don't it's I don't think it's going to be like a league average offense. And then I'm wondering, can their defense remain top five? And I'm not so sure about that. I think what's really worked for them so far is their bigs have been great. You know, Zubach and Hartenstein as rim protectors have been Really good. They're both basically playing drop the vast majority of the time. I think they're both really good drop defenders. And I I will give credit to the point of attack defenders on the Clippers who, you know, it's been incumbent on them because Zubach especially is 
doing a deep drop where he's rarely even bothering to commit to the ball handler in those scenarios. So it's, it's dependent on the guards, you know, getting over screens and, uh, you know, basically maintaining contact with the ball handlers. And I think they've done a good job of that. Terrence Mann, I think in particular has done a good job of that, but also Bledsoe, even Reggie Jackson, at points uh, have been good at the point of attack. Um, and that allows Zubac to just like protect against the role. And I think he does that as well as almost anybody in the league. And he's been great on the defensive glass. Hartenstein has like some of the best rim protecting numbers in the league. It's pretty wild. And he's actually, he's given them more arguably than Zubac at the offensive end because he can actually pass and they can play through. He's a really solid screener too. Yeah. And they can, they can like play through him as a hub in a way that they can't do with Zubac, right? Like where he's operating from the high post and they're cutting off of him. And he can play in the four on three, I think a little bit better. Um, just a good, smart player. Like he, he's been massive for them. Uh, and then I think the other guy sort of unheralded who, who's really been a key to their success is Kennard, whose yeah. movement shooting and shooting off of the dribble has just been like a magic elixir for their offense. Like he bails them out of a lot of stagnant possessions with his ability to shoot and draw gravity uh, as an off ball mover. So uh, yeah, it's just it's been guys like that sort of pitching in and helping to keep them afloat. That's what's been super important. But I just wonder, like, how far are you going to get relying on on guys like that? I mean, I don't know. I like can Hartenstein continue to be this good? Can Kennard continue to shoot the ball as well? I mean, Kennard actually probably can because he's he's done that historically. But I just uh, I just don't know. Like, it's it's too much on Paul George's shoulders. Yeah. He he's not a primary playmaker. He just isn't. And I think he can be he can be a good passer. Like he for one thing, he just puts a lot of mustard on his passes. Like that's one thing that you always notice, but he also throws a ton of audacious cross-court passes that are liable to end up in the third row. And if your primary playmaker is averaging like five and a half assists against four and a half turnovers. That's not yeah. exactly where you want to be. Not ideal. And the Clippers as a whole are very turnover prone. Yeah. Um, which speaks to the kind of dearth of playmaking that they have. So yeah, I'm like, I, I still think they're a play in team. I don't think they wind up in the top six, you know, obviously unless Kawhi comes back, I think there was a report recently that he's ahead of schedule in his rehab and could return as early as March. So who knows, you know, how much validity there is to that, but obviously that would change their fortunes a great deal. I wondered as they started the season the way they did, whether their performance this season could change the equation with respect to Kawhi. And I don't mean like, okay, obviously if he's not ready to come back, they're not rushing him back. It's Kawhi Leonard. But the way I wondered, it was like, okay, say he is cleared and ready and completely able to play, but it's so late in the season and they look like a playing team. Like I, I thought in, if they're like ninth or 10th, and Kawhi's just ready to come back. I think they would just be like, you know what? Hold off till October. We'll, you know, come back when you have the full season. I don't know if they'd bring them back, say, for just the stretch run leading into the play-in games or a few games before that. But if they're, you know, shocking the world and in the hunt for fourth or like somewhere between fourth and sixth, even like seventh, but knocking on the door of sixth, and he's cleared and like ready to come back, you know, with a week or two left in the season... Would that change the equation? Again, I think because it's Kawhi Leonard, maybe not. We know how, and understandably so, uh, protective he is of his health and recovery and stuff. But I think it would be a question worth asking at that point. Like, 
you know, if 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 his if his return is going to be so late in the season, how it's changed by uh, their performance, and if they continue to overachieve, I do think you know at least minimally the chances of his return this season go up. How much we don't know, but I do think we're more likely to see him if they overachieve than not. Yeah, I wonder about that. Like, how much does he care? Has he has he made up his mind? You know, yeah. no, yeah. I'm I'm serious. Like, I, I, there hasn't really been any indication that. And I like you know Kawhi's camp generally is pretty tight lipped unless they really like have something that they want to get out there because it's good for their leverage. But for the most part, I, I don't think you're going to get right. a whole lot out of his circle. And I you know, there hasn't been any indication that he's like closely monitoring the situation, trying to decide whether it's worth it to come back. Maybe he's already made up his mind one way or another. Like if they're, you know, is he like, okay, well, if we're in sixth in March, then I'm coming back. But if we're in eighth, then I'm not, you know, I, who, who really knows? But, yeah. and I think too, like it, it wouldn't even just be necessarily like what place it's also like distance from siege. Right? Like if there are eighth, but like, six games back you know like there's obviously a lot of nuance that will i'm sure go into the decision for sure you got anything else you want to get off your chest or are we actually about to get out of here with more than 10 minutes to spare before the hour mark let's do it let's get out of here man all right quit while we're behind (laughs) the one thing i was thinking is when i made the uh, playoffs joke (laughs) depending on the age of some of our listeners like people might have not even understood what the hell i was doing there and might just think that i ran my voice randomly cracked so if there are actually sports loving human beings that don't know the origin of that clip or that soundbite, YouTube Jim Mora playoffs, legendary soundbite from a former Indianapolis Colts coach. All right. On that note, fan shout out of the week. Another international one, Wolfon. I'm excited about this one. Federico Saltas. Saltas? I don't, you know, I'm not sure because the name sounds Spanish. But anyway, he's living in Rome right now. He's a Paisan, I think. And his Twitter name is Federico Saltas. His, his handle is Fede Salt on Twitter, all the way out in Rome. He had tweeted uh, at me the day everyone was doing those Spotify raps saying Pound the Rock was his number one most listened to podcast of 2021 on Spotify. He calls himself our number one Italian fan, which is saying something because I exist and I am also a fan of our show. But I'll let Federico have this one. Love the international shout-outs. What's that, two in a row or two in the last three weeks? And we also got another, it's, you know, we're going to save it for a few weeks, but just yesterday, I got another message about another international shout-out. And we do have, even after getting Federico's shout-out out of the way, we still have one, two, three, four, five more banked for the next five shows, wow. which is awesome. It's cool for us to see that the show is resonating with so many people. So again, reminder, if you're a fan of the show, hit us up on Twitter at Joseph Cacharo, at Joey W, on Instagram at Joe underscore 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 cash. Email joe.wolfon at the score.com, joseph.cacharo at the score.com. Let us know how long you've been listening, where you listen from, what you like about the show, what you don't, and we will get you a fan shout out on a future episode. Until one of those future episodes, for Joe Wolfon, I'm Joseph Cacharo, Pound the Rock.